forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Timothy Royer, and today we're going to shift the focus just a bit. Doc, most of your work and your public speaking, and most of what we talk about here in the videos in the book, is about performance. How can we get that marginal edge to perform just a, a little bit better? Because, right, in so many professions and sports, the margin of victory is is very narrow. So, if you can improve your performance by five, ten. can be the difference between, you know, winning a Super Bowl or making a billion dollars or something or not. But but it seems to me that there's kind of an uncomfortable truth Mm -hmm. that the more you perform in some areas of your life, you can underperform in others. So today we want to talk about thriving because life is more about more than just winning trophies or climbing the top of your profession, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, everybody is going to have a different perspective of what it is that they consider to be thriving or performing. I have a certain filter by which I look at things and um, that's not going to be the same for everyone. I do feel from a psychological or emotional component that uh, relationships are at the top of my list as uh, thriving. If I look at my relationships and those aren't measuring at a certain level, uh, that's a good indicator for me that I'm not performing at the level that I want to perform. And that's shifted. Some of that's developmental, right? Like I can remember in my 20s, yeah, relationships were important, but my career was, you know, super important or my education at that point. And then that shifted into career, shifted into parenting, shifted into different things. So those can, the thriving, what it is that you're looking at, that you're thriving in can be different. I, for me, I have a bias towards relationships. I feel like, you know, life without relationships is like life without air. You know, like relationships to me are the game changer, you know, and I think a good way to kind of maybe set the tone on it, and you probably heard people use this before, but, you know, when it's all said and done, and if somebody's going to put something on my tombstone, you know, what is it that I want them to put on there? And I don't think it's, man, he was a really good neuropsychologist, you know, or, uh, you know, he helped somebody make it to the Super Bowl. You know, that's not, for me, that's not what I want, you know, or he made a million dollars or, so I think that helps for me. That's always something that I use as a, as kind of a perspective check is to say, well, what do I want the, at the end when looking back? And it's probably not, man, I wish he would have worked some more. You know, wish he would have spent more time on his job. I don't think that's what it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be, man, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids, with my wife, with my friends, with my community. So, you know, measuring those things. And again, I can't say that's the same for everybody. But for me, that's where I consider thriving to be. Well, right. I mean, that's incredibly mature, but I think it is maybe a cliche to say that. A lot of people are chasing success in whatever it is. They, they do want to say, 
I have a Super Bowl ring or I won an Academy Award or I was a billionaire or I won a green jacket or whatever it is. And a lot of times there's a cliche that they burn down kind of everything else in their life to make that happen. You know, maybe it's a cliche, but there's there's six people who are incredibly successful at at one aspect of their lives and are miserable in other parts of their life because their ambition and their focus on that one thing has come at the expense of everything else, right? Yeah, I, I can remember specifically this one uh, situation a few years ago where I was working with this really high-level executive. And, um, you know, he was doing pretty good in training. And we got off on a discussion. Usually everything we do is very concrete and objective. But we kind of paused and I said, you know, so because he was feeling like, man, I've, I'm there, you know, I've got it, you know, I'm ready to move on. And I said, hey, you know, if you look at your life and the, the goals in your life and where you're at, one to 10, 10 being the best, where would you say you are? And he said, oh, I'm a nine, man. You know, I'm a nine. And he was from a success standpoint as far as financially. I said, okay, let's break it down into a few areas, though. Let's not just summarize it in one quick, you know, I'm a nine. I said, um, where do you think you are where you want to be physically, nutritionally, physically, how you're dealing with your body at this stage of life? Mm, a six. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, where do you think you are relationally as a father and a husband? Oh, I've given up a lot there to get where I'm at. About a four. Okay. Gotcha. Where are you like spiritually? You know, you don't have to be, you know, there, but if that's something that's important to you. Yeah, I've kind of lost that along the way, you know. And so it was interesting because we went through like six different things, you know, instead of just one thing, we went through the spokes on the wheel and kind of went around the wheel. And I was diagramming this for him. And I said, okay, six here, four here, five here, nine and a half here. I said, so what do you think? He goes, I'm not really a nine. <laughs> you know, he was like, you know, that really helped to wait a minute, step back and think, what are these different components of my life? Because we're not just made up of one thing. We're not a computer. We're not just, you know, artificial intelligence. We are a very vast, wide creature. And with that comes all these different components to us that maybe we forget how much we value them, but they are important to us if we look at them. And it's very important to take stock of that and not only measure that subjectively, but also measure that objectively. And that's really important when we look at thriving is that we don't just take, well, I'm comparing it to where I was a week ago or a month ago or six months ago. No, I want to look at your sleep compared to 400,000 other people your age and let you know your sleep sucks, okay? And you might think it's good, but it's awful. And if you really want to have your brain around to enjoy your success, it's not going to be here in 20 years because you're not getting the right kind of sleep. So there's a certain, this level of thriving can become a very subjective thing. And I would encourage our listeners to try to make it 
more objective and start to look through different systems in your body, your autonomic nervous system, different hormones, sleep cycles, your omega-3 index, your gut health, and really get some good measures on these. And your body will tell you <laughs> whether you're thriving or not. And many times it's a disconnect. I've seen many great coaches, athletes, executives who are thriving in one way, but their bodies are literally telling them you're falling apart, right? So let's try to get at a definition of this. How would you define human thriving? I would uh, define that as trying to get to your potential of what you can do. And so everybody is wired differently. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but like in the area of intellectual functioning, right? I'm not expecting somebody with a 92 IQ to function like somebody with a 123 IQ, okay? But the 123 IQ, I don't want them functioning like they're 100 IQ, right? And there's so many times, I even talk about this with my kids. I have four kids. But I always say to them, you know, it's not really where you are right now, but it's kind of where you started and the progress that you've made from point A to point B. It's like you might have somebody who's super, super athletic and they've taken their athletic abilities up 5%, right? You might have somebody who's not athletic at all and scared of playing sports and don't like that physical contact, and they get out there and they get up to average. You know who's really thriving? Not the person who just went up 5%, but it's that person who like addressed all these things, went through their fears, didn't avoid them. They're the ones who are thriving. So it's kind of your starting point and where you're going to and the distance between that for me is what dis describes what, what thriving is. So, so maximizing your capacity, right? I mean, fulfilling yeah. your potential. I mean, that really is another way of saying that, that, you know, we use this phrase all the time of being the best possible version of yourself is to thrive. I mean, it's, and, and, but not in, not by narrowly defining one area of your life in which you're going to maximize your potential, but maximizing it in every area of your life, right? Yeah, and that really comes back to, you know, I'm a big component, uh, proponent of um, looking at data, you know, is, is measuring things so that you know where you're going. Because <laughs> as humans, we have this uh, uh, a bent towards uh, finding excuses for things, right? And so that's a concept that I want to take a little side path on is uh, something that we call in, in psychology is fundamental attribution error, okay? Fundamental attribution error is this, this thing that we do as humans where we are really quick to attribute certain qualities to a person outside of ourselves. But when it comes to ourselves, we don't do that as much. So let me, let's use this example. Let's say we take um, two people you've never heard of, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Okay, you've probably never heard of these people, but you know, they're 
they've been leaders or are leaders of a pretty big country, right? And if I go through these, I'm just going to go through a few different descriptions. And I want you to say yes, no, or depends on the situation. Okay. So for Donald Trump, angry, distracted, impulsive, animated, calm. So you're going to go through and you're going to say, yes, no, depends on the situation. Let's do Joe Biden. Angry, distracted, impulsive, animated, calm. Yes, no, depends on the situation. So if you wrote this out, you'd probably have, you know, various yeses and nos, different things. And what happens in the fundamental attribution error is for those individuals, uh, you will give them, you're more prone to give them an absolute of yes, no, and not use depends on the situation very much. That's typically what happens, right? Then I'm going to say, okay, now look at yourself. Angry, distracted, impulsive, animated, calm. And what happens to most humans is what they're doing is, well, that depends on the situation. You know, I'm not always angry. You know, it's, it's a, you know I'm not always distracted. I'm not always calm. And so what we do is we kind of give ourselves all this leniency, you know, because, well, you know, that's not me. But other people in our lives, we give them absolutes because it makes our life a little bit more structured. Like, uh, well, you know, uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden can't be, you know, this or that. They've got to be this, right? And so that fundamental attribution error plays itself out in this whole assessment of ourselves. Right, like uh, physically, maybe not where I'm should be right now, but that just kind of depends on the situation. You know, I'll be different in a few weeks. I can lose this thirty pounds in a heartbeat. You know, I go on this diet and boom, boom, boom. Right, or I'll spend more time with my kids. Right, I, I get to that first. Let me make the first million, and then I'll do that. Right, and so thriving gets really impacted by this tendency to not put a little bit more structure on ourselves and to give ourselves almost too much leniency at times. So, so we're at some level too, it's a fundamental dishonesty about ourselves, right? I mean, yeah, it's, a, exactly. it's a lack of, lack of self-awareness, right? I mean, one of the things I've always felt is that the older you get, the more self-aware you ought to be, or at least you have less excuse for not being self-aware. Like when you're young and you don't know what you're good at or you're not good at, right? Because you're, you're trying things for the first time. You know, you're a teenager, you're in college, you get out of school and get your first job. I don't really, don't really know yet what I'm going to excel at or not excel at. I've never been married before. I've never had kids before. I've never had this kind of job before. But then over time, you gain experience. And theoretically, you're learning from that experience. And over time, you can be sort of excused for sort of making some mistakes along the way because you don't, you know, it's the first time through. But after you've been around the block a few times, you ought to go, uh, you know, I've got to be a little bit more honest with myself about what my strengths and weaknesses are and where my areas 
that I need to work on and what were the best places for me to apply myself and where I need to back off and where I need to lean into, right? And so that kind of self-awareness like plays into this, right? Yeah. Into our, it all starts with an assessment. You can't just like, I'm thriving or not thriving. You need to be assessing and being realistic about that assessment. And for me, that's all about using objective tools to do that. You know, like in an area that I think is really uh, where we've dropped the ball is, you know, like in medical side, when you hit 50, okay, and you're closing in on 50, all it is is colonoscopy, 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 you know, like, and if you haven't gotten your colonoscopy by 50, you know, you're just irresponsible adult, right? You know, and um, which is very important. Right? I'm not opposed to that, but who's actually doing, I would say that we should all be having a, an assessment of our brain at 50 and really getting a, a look at what is my memory functioning looking like at 50 before I start to approach the next 20, 30 years where I have a greater chance of developing some type of cognitive disorder that I could prevent if I would take some time to look at my brain. I would recommend for every person as they're hitting 50 or even in their 40s is to get a baseline assessment of your cognitive functioning, what's your processing speed, what's your memory looking like, what is your short-term memory. And these are things that we do for people. We do them remotely. We send people to your home to get these things done all over the country, all over the world we go to to do these things. And I would put those top of the list for being able to understand whether I'm thriving or not thriving. I need some data to see that, right? I need data about my hormones, about my autonomic nervous system, about my breathing, about my heart rate. And that's what Inner Armor is all about, is getting you that data so you can realistically look at, wait a minute, I'm not thriving in my sleep cycle. I'm not thriving in my ability to manage stress. And that that's very important that we diagnostically get these things. I was in a, a Lowe's the other day. And five different people stopped me at different kiosks about, have I done diagnostics on my air conditioning system? Have I done diagnostics on the furnace? You know, what, you know and all, have I had my roof diagnosed? I, and it was hilarious. I'm like, what is this? Like a workshop on diagnosis? And, and then I'm thinking, who's asking me about in any place? you know, in the medical arena, anything, you know, I go in for my physical and I'm out of there in, you know, 15 minutes and nobody's asked me about my sleep, my emotions, my future goals, my relationships, you know, I'm just in and out like cattle, right? And um, we have to be looking diagnostically at what's going on if we're going to have this discussion about thriving. We need to know where we are so that we can then measure progress from point A to point B. You know, Doc, one of the things that I think makes you so interesting is your background, your journey. You know, so you work with all of these sports teams and these professional athletes and executives and celebrities, and you help them all to be better. But your background, your, your, your sort of origin story, where you sort of learned your craft, 
so to speak, was with children. Yeah. So you started out in pediatric neuropsychology, right? Your, your doctoral dissertation was on family systems, right? And, and you learned a lot about thriving or flourishing or the lack of failure to thrive from families and children. And I would assume that at that very young age and that sort of from the cradle in the family, people get on trajectories and, and probably maybe the vulnerabilities or, or strengths or weaknesses are easier to see if it's a, a child. Maybe there's some masking of that that goes on as we get, become older. But what, what did you learn uh, from all that work with pediatric neuropsychology and family systems that, that you can sort of apply to the human thriving general? Yeah, so, um, you know, you have this combination of nurture versus nature, right? And we're not just one, we're kind of a combination of the two. And so, um, as we look at that, there's so much about a family and how it functions or any system, whether that's the workplace you're in or the school environment or community uh, that you're in, it has a certain a living, breathing component to it that is a system that either is promoting health and wellness or it's making you sick. <laughs> um, and some of you have uh, been in systems or families or workplace environments that didn't make you healthy. They made you sick. And uh, what I learned very early on dealing with children who had experienced significant losses is that the family system acts as a, a catalyst for either promoting growth or illness in that person, uh, psychological, emotional illness. And um, as I measured this uh, in children, um, what we would find is the kind of key component to a healthy system is good communication. You know, how well the system communicates. And then also, a couple subcomponents are the rules and how they're managed within a family and the roles and how they're managed. So, so rules would be not just rules for rules' sake, but rules that are based, based on principles that actually may adjust as developmentally the child is changing. So when a child is very young, there needs to be a lot of absolutes, a lot of black and white because they're trying to structure their world. And developmentally, they can't deal with a lot of reasoning and that kind of stuff. But as they get older and they get into adolescence, there's another thing going on that the rules may need some more principle-based values to help them understand that maybe we will flex this rule based on the situation. And then when they turn into adults, that's totally different. If you want to have a relationship with them as an adult, you're not going to treat them like they were six with rules. Uh, there's going to be a lot of permissiveness in there to let them develop their own rules, right? And roles is another dynamic in that. And that is sometimes many parents live their lives out in their children. You know, they, they didn't make the baseball team, you know, or they didn't do this successfully in the academic arena. So they're going to have their children kind of be an, a mirror image of them and not let them develop their own identity. And so that role, or you can have the reverse where they're not engaged at all. And these children are on islands, but there's a happy medium in these different things. And these systems 
really take a lot of work to develop. But when they're, when they're working well, communicating well across roles and rules, then what happens is those systems can produce strength in areas where you think there'd be a weakness or a loss. So you can have a traumatic event happen to a family and they can literally reshape that to make the children in the family stronger, more resilient individuals. And then you've seen situations where the same kind of trauma happens to a family and it completely dissolves and it, it becomes dysfunctional and toxic and everybody's just at each other, right? And so the situation was the same, but the system was different. And for me, uh, as I think of like thriving, I want to be part of systems that enhance growth in people. In my most immediate circle first, you know, with my wife, but then the next circle is with my kids. And then from there out into, you know, the workplace, my friends, and then into the workplace. But I want to be one of these people that's a catalyst for growth in people, not somebody that's a, a toxic individual that promotes illness in people. When you were looking at kids, and I know that you did a lot of work with everything from fetal alcohol syndrome to attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, and a thousand other kinds of sort of anxiety disorders, children bipolar disorders, whatever. As you saw that in very young children, what, what were some of the combinators of the sort of the opposite, the failure to thrive and how that manifested itself uh, in, them, in them, not only psychologically, but physically? Yeah, I think um, one, we've talked about this before, but one of the major components in that is how present the authority figures were in that situation. You know, uh, like we would, I work with a lot of uh, kids with, with cancer and um, what can happen under stress is a, a lot of distractionary things come in to avoid what's going on. And then the child uh, isn't able to process that. And so the, the presence of the family being present through that stressor is super, super important. Uh, at engagement through a child's development, you, there's no substitute for time with a child. Uh, it's just, you can't say, well, that 20 seconds, I, they got all of me in that 20 yeah, the seconds. Yeah, whole the whole quality time thing, right? Like, you yeah. know, that was the saying that we, you know, we rationalized to ourselves that I don't actually spend time with my loved one or my children or whatever because I'm going to give them very little of myself. But when I give it to them, I'm going to make it really special. Um, and there are certainly people that really do have circumstances. You know, you're, you're in the military, you're deployed uh, for months at a time. But, but by and large, ignoring somebody or having your priorities upside down in terms of whether you're spending time with somebody that you love, you, you can't sort of ignore them and then make it all up in a day by, you know, taking them to Disney, Disneyland or something. Yeah, and we've, we've said this before in our podcast. I want you to just stop and think for a second. Who are the top three most influential people in your life? Right. You know, wh who are the three people that have shaped your life the most? And the common denominator across those three people 
is going to be how present they are. Yeah. Is they weren't scrolling through their Instagram. Yeah. They weren't, you know, uh, distracted by the texts coming in. Yeah. Right. They were going for the walks with you and the talks with you. And even though you didn't make any sense, you knew they were listening. Right. You know, they didn't just hear you. They were listening to you and reflecting back to you what you were experiencing. Those life changers, that's when I think of thriving, and everybody might be different, okay, and I get that. But I think the thing that has, like, there's no time constraint on how much it impacts or the ripple effect of it is presence, and it's what we're losing as a culture. We're losing the ability to be aware, connected to our five senses, and being present with people. But when you do that, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, the most innovative room person in the room. But when you're present with somebody, you're a changer. You, you, may, you change the world around you when you're present. People that are distracted and that are lost in these other distractions because of their own fears, they don't, they're not thrivers. They don't change the world. How is thriving in the ways that you're talking about, what's the interaction between that and physical, like emotional thriving, intellectual thriving, spiritual thriving, whatnot, and, and physical thriving? Because it seems to me that a lot of times we put those things at odds with each other. So there are some people out there who are going to go, well, I prioritize my physical well-being. And to the detriment, maybe, of my relationships, my intellectual development, my spiritual development, I'm focused on my physical health or my physical development or physical comforts. On the flip side, there are those who say, well, you know, I feel like I'm emotionally, relationally healthy, but my body is falling apart. I mean, I see that a lot too. And so mm -hmm. isn't there an inter, I mean, a dynamic, it's hard to thrive, you know, if, if there's like a three-legged or four-legged stool here between you know, body, mind, spirit, relationships, it's, it's hard to say, well, I'm doing well in two of three or three of four because the table's going to fall over. Can you talk about that a little bit and the physical, how, how failure to thrive manifests itself in disease? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. And I just want to give this to our listeners. You can't do it all, okay? You have to to make choices. And just personally for myself, I would love to be speaking every day to hundreds of people. I love speaking and teaching and educating, but that's not the most important thing in my life, right? And I know I can't do that every day, right? I even like to, I love to play golf, right? But I'm not going to do that every day, right? So you only have, and I think it's kind of nice that it's built in, is you only have 24 hours in a day. Greg, you have the same 24 hours that I have. Everybody listening to us has the same 24. Just let's take this pressure off. You cannot do everything, okay? And don't think that you can. And you have to take stock of what it is that I'm working on. And that may be different times in your life. Um, I do, I would say there has to be kind of a common thread of what are the deep principles that guide your life. And those should always supersede whatever it is that you're working on, the season that you're working on. But um, 
you know, the thriving has to be realistic. And I think it also needs to be, you know, measurable. Uh, the physical and the behavioral is really going to be depending on what the neurological is doing. So, you know, let's get back to the science of thriving, okay? The science of thriving has a lot to do with electrical current in your brain that can be measured, and we measure that, and you can see it, okay? And when I see somebody who their portfolio looks one way, but their brain is filled with high-frequency, high-beta, anxious activity, even though I can't see it in their behavior, I can see it in their brain, I can tell you that person's not thriving. And so for me, it goes back to the person's potential and what is the electrical current running in the brain. You did a great job on a video uh, about focus, where you talk about uncommon focus and how uh, a quarterback requires a certain level of focus. All of us have that obtainable focus, which is really, I put in the thriving arena and can be measured. And when our brain is dominated by sympathetic, anxious, stressful current that we can measure, or it's dominated by slow, depressed, fatigued energy, which we can measure, those are not thriving. When the brain, the electrical current is optimized, it's uh, efficient, it's in cruise control, it's calm, but yet focused, it's present. You can't be present unless your brain activity is there, okay? It's the same as being in the zone. That is the, the bedrock or the foundation upon which you build thriving or how I look at it. Like, if I start to go into these fast, sympathetic brainwaves and I'm accomplishing all these things, I would not say that I'm thriving. I would say that I'm now stuck in an adrenaline-based uh, pattern that's going to lead to adrenal fatigue. And it may look like on your checklist or somebody else's checklist, man, this guy's killing it, right? But neurologically, the only thing I'm killing is myself. Yeah. That's not that's not thriving, right? That's cheating or hacking the system. And there will be a price to pay for that. And that's where I get back to this whole neurological piece of what is your brain doing? Measure yeah. it and let right. me know. Well, we talk about that in the book, right? I mean, because a lot of the, all the other systems in our body are downstream of that. So, right. so we have these internal protocols that are hardwired into our system. So when certain kinds of neurological conditions manifest themselves, right? Like, you know, brain frequencies and certain parts of your brain being activated, that triggers hormone release. It triggers the other organs of your body to do certain kinds of things. So you fl start flipping switches. And then you look around at yourself, you go, why, to your point, why do I feel tired? Why do I feel anxious? Why do my relationships, you know, strain? Why can't I listen to somebody and pay attention? Why can't I get my work done during the day? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I go out and walk my dog and enjoy it, right? Without thinking about, yeah. you know, my bank account or whatever the thing is that is preoccupying me. And then what you do is like, as we've talked before, you start to play whack-a-mole, 
to go, well, yes. stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this. And you start chasing all this behavioral stuff. To your point, thriving is going to be going back upstream and saying, down, you know, from my, from my brain, from my mind, downstream, everything is aligned. And when it's right. all aligned, you know, the other thing too is, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording, you know, we talk at Armour all the time about performance and performing at your potential. And it strikes me that the cliche of the, the I don't care what they are, an athlete, an entertainer, a, a business executive, whatever it is, who's super successful at this one thing in their life, but is miserable everywhere else. It isn't that they've sort of valued performance over the other parts of their life. It's that they've only valued performing in one part of their life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when you start going, okay, you know, I perform really well at my sport. I perform really well at my job. But, but what about performing well in your family? What about performing well in terms of maintaining your health? What about performing well, right? So it's about maximizing that performance, about that capacity, about being the best version of yourself in all areas. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've had the opportunity to work with, you know, a lot of elite athletes, a lot of executives, and I'm thinking of one elite athlete in particular who everybody knows who this person is. They're iconic individual who had an unbelievable career, now can't remember things and is having memory problems and sacrificed other parts of themselves along the way and would be more than happy to give up all of that in order to remember grandkids' names, right? And um, to remember experiences that they can't remember anymore because they burned it so hard that they mistook thriving for something else, which was hacking the adrenal system and using this beautiful brain-body connection in a way to achieve something that, yes, we all applaud, but they don't applaud anymore because they wish that they had taken care of their, their brain a little bit better. Interesting you put it that way. I know we, we've talked about that before. We talked about it in the book is that, in, in a sense, that that adrenal flood, that H, what you call the HPA axis and all that stuff, it's like rocket fuel. So you go, okay, I can inject some rocket fuel into the one, this one part of my life and it's going to allow me to work a few extra hours or push a little bit harder or, or be a little more driven in this one thing. But that rocket fuel comes at a cost. It's very expensive in terms of how that plays out the rest of your life. Yeah, don't just look at your life in thriving as just this moment right now, like this one sliver, it's a, it's a macro experience, yeah. right? You know, and you think about different people in your life that maybe you had one positive experience with them, but you had 40 negative experiences with them. Yeah. Okay. You have a certain way that you would describe that person, right? And so, Many times we just get so caught up in this moment, but we meet, miss the big context of where am I investing? And the number one place that I would recommend that people invest is in their brain, okay? Yeah. Not their portfolio. Is If your brain's not working well and you can't be present and efficient, then you can't impact the world around you. I 
I look back at my own life, and because I, I have the luxury of understanding how these different brainwaves work, I, every time I stop and spend time working on my brain through training, through doing brain training, where I hook my brain up to the EEG, I see it and I adjust brainwave patterns through uh, behavioral reinforcement with the computer so that I can get my brain in the right speeds. And I work on this for, you know, when I do these periods of time where I work on this for a few weeks and I kind of push other things to the side, right, which is kind of tough. Every single time I come out with something that's innovative, game-changing, if you look back at the last 30 years, you'd say, when did this happen? When did that happen? When did this happen? They all happened in those moments where somebody else would have said, go, 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 adrenaline, adrenaline, lose sleep. You know, uh, you got to be working, you know, hacking the HBA axis. But that downshift and activating the alpha waves and getting brain, the brain in that calm, focused pattern, all of a sudden things come out of my brain that are so innovative and disruptive that those really end up being the kind of the definition right. of my career, right? right? We're out of those things. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Well, we're going to be talking more about thriving and what, what encourages it and promotes it and what sort of throttles it. Uh, in some upcoming episodes. So uh, stay awesome. tuned for that. And uh, thanks, Doc. Thanks for your time. I know you've got a lot going on right now and your life outside of Inner Armor. And, you know, yeah. you've got to thrive in all those other parts of your life as well. So we're, uh, we're thinking time. about you with that. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk next week. Sounds great. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.